go. All right. <laughs> okay. So it's funny what um, Miss Melanie said because she said a few days ago, she said, do you have a title yet for your session? I said, how about something? And I said something like, how about our thinking is sometimes stinking? And then she said that this morning, I thought, oh, she remembered that. But, <laughs> but she had, during the summer when she had asked, when she had sent different topics to me and Megan, <clears throat> she said one of them was bringing every thought into captivity. And that makes me think of 2 Corinthians 10.5. So that's where we're going to start. But you know what? I don't know everybody's names. So can we go around? I want to hear your name. I'm Bernie. I'm Trisha. Trisha. Okay. Mick. Mick? Okay. I have a sister-in-law, Mickey. So I hope I can remember that. Okay. Alice. Okay. Ruthie. Okay. Bonnie. I know Bonnie. We're Facebook friends. <laughs> okay. Patty. Milka. Milka. I remember that Old Testament name. Okay, okay. Uh, Anne. Yeah. Say it again? Anne. Anne, yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Good to know your names, and I probably won't remember, but um, but that's a blessing. And um, for any of you, is this your first time at this retreat? Yes. Okay. Okay. It's a blessing to, to come to a ladies' event um, like this. It, it just really is special. I want you to turn quickly <clears throat> to um, 2 Corinthians 10.5. As I said, that's where we're going to start. When Miss Melanie, you know, when she suggested this topic, I thought, oh, that takes me right to that verse. 2 Corinthians 10.5, and we're going to kind of pick it apart just a little bit. It is such a good verse. Oh, no. Oh, no. I have mine, too. Yours is gone too? No, no, mine is in the... Uh, oh, oh, you know what? Then just listen and you might want to write down I'll, the references. Sure, whatever. Okay, the verse says this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That verse says so much, but let's kind of just look at it. The first part says casting down imaginations. And I got to thinking, what are imaginations? And I, I was thinking, well, they're probably thoughts that aren't true. Those are imaginations. How about worry about things that probably won't happen? Like we just kind of we just kind of imagine that, that all these bad things are gonna happen. I have something kind of funny to tell you. Our son pastors in um, Grants Pass, Oregon. He used to be in Washington, but he's been in Grants Pass for a couple of years now and just took over for the retiring pastor. And I remember one time he was preaching a message and he said, you know, 80 or 90% of what we worry about never happens. He said, actually, that's maybe a good thing because he said, go ahead and worry about those things. That'll make sure that they really don't happen. <laughs> that's like backward psychology, huh? <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of funny, but he made the point. Okay, so it says casting down imaginations, all these things that, that aren't true and may or may not even happen. So why do, we, why do we waste our brain cells on them? And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. You know, when we have those imaginations or those thoughts that are not correct, it's like if you start out with, with God's word and our thoughts evenly together, then if we pay more attention to wrong thoughts, it's like those thoughts are going up and up and up in importance in our minds. 
and God's word is going down because we're focusing on those wrong thoughts and we're not thinking about God's word and what it says, the instruction there and the promises. And so things get all cattywampus, as my husband would say. So they just really get, you know, to be in bad shape. Have you ever, I'm, I'm sure you're like me and some, I'm really going to share a lot of my thoughts with you as well as scripture, but you know, um, I've had times where there's just so much going on in my mind that I think almost feels like I'm going crazy, you know, and I think and it may not be physically based, but I think, oh, my thoughts are just running away. They've taken on a life of their own and they are just running away and this is not good. So we need to bring every thought into captivity. So when it talks about bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, when we bring things to Christ, um, that is a place of safety and rest. If you can picture, since the theme is a nautical one this year, Christ being our anchor of hope, picture a, a harbor that's calm and peaceful. There's a hymn called Haven of Rest. I just love it. I, you may or may not know it, but um, it talks about Christ being our haven of rest. And so it's a place of safety. Not only that, this is interesting. I think toward the end it says the obedience of Christ. And when you think about it, um, obedience is the place of blessing. If we're running away from God, then we are running away from his safety, his rest, his blessing. But if we will look to Christ and just um, harbor our thoughts in him, just bring those thoughts into captivity to Christ, it's a place it's a place of obedience and blessing and just really a good place to be um, the next scripture I want to take you to and if you have your Bible great and if not these are familiar verses as well that I just love Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30 and they're familiar verses I'm sure to many of you you probably read them many times Matthew 28 to 30. And I don't know about you, but when I find these, when I read these verses as my devotions or um, a couple of times I've shared them with people just to kind of help point them in the right direction, these verses just really make me slow down and calm down. So what does Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 say? It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And those verses in my Bible, if you have a Bible like mine where the verses of Christ are in red, those verses are in red. And I can just picture Christ saying those verses. It's an invitation for us to come to him, and then he explains why. Don't no, just just what's going to happen when we do. But it says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I want to look at those two words, labor and heavy laden. You know, there's a lady here who's getting ready to have a baby. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word work, and then I think about the word labor, to me, the word labor seems to be more strong. We never talk about a lady, you know, getting ready to have a baby. We never say, she's going to work to have this baby. No, no, she's going into labor. It's really, it's really intense. Those of us who have been there and, and we know it's just 
it's really labor and it's it's very intense. Um, it mentions there too, um, all ye that labor and, and are heavy laden. There, if you will picture a ship that is heavy laden, in other words, it probably is too loaded down and it's getting ready to leave the harbor and to go out into the ocean or a huge sea or whatever. And if a, if a ship is too heavy laden, it's in danger of sinking. <clears throat> it's in danger of sinking in calm seas, but much more if there's a storm that comes along, then it's really in danger of just sinking, you know, with the waves crashing at it. So once again, that's, that's a place that, um, that we don't wanna be. I grew up in Minnesota. And um, so we would drive up to Lake Superior all the time. Just seems like once or twice a year we'd go up there. Sometimes we'd go camping. Sometimes we'd just go up to see the lake. And um, last year, my husband got to go up there with me. We happened to be in Minnesota, and we had rented a car, so we drove up to Lake Superior. And they do a lot of ore mining there, and then they send the, the ore back east for it to be refined. So it goes on these, the ore goes, the iron ore goes on these huge, they're called ore boats. And they put tons and tons and tons of iron ore on these ore boats. And of course it has to be loaded properly. Even when they load it, they have to do it in a certain way to make sure that the ship is just balanced as they go along doing that. Well, in 1975, and my husband was amazed at how big Lake Superior is and all those great lakes are really big. You, when you stand on um, one side of the shore, you cannot see to the opposite side of the shore. Like we were in Minnesota, you look across to where Wisconsin would be and you can't see the land. Well, in 1975, I don't know if, if any of you remember this, but there was an ore boat called the Edmund Fitzgerald that somehow, I, I guess they maybe finally did figure out why it sank, but something happened when it was out. It was something about maybe the way the ore had been loaded, but a storm came along. It was early November and this storm came along and for some reason, the ore boat ended up sinking. And so there, you know, maybe the ship was loaded improperly, but there's an example of something that's heavy laden. And when we're that way, when we feel like we're just, um, we've got too much on us and our thoughts are just, are just running wild, we need to bring our thoughts back into captivity and, and share some of that burden with the Lord. Um, at the end of that verse, it says, I will give you rest. So if we come unto him, we feel like we're laboring and we're in heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. He will give us that rest that we so desperately need. Then, if we look at the next verse, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto, un, rest unto your souls. We don't need to bear that burden alone. We've got the Lord. And you probably have heard this before, but if you haven't, um, it's like we're in a yoke, like if you can picture two oxen, one of the oxen being us, you know, one of us, and then the other one being the Lord. And he doesn't just put a yoke on us and just hope that it'll fit correctly. It's custom fitted to us. And so he's there in the yoke with us and he's right there with us, helping us, you know, just day by day as we give, as we give things to him. Um, one more thing I wanna mention, um, I think we need, you know, at times when we're going through a time where uh, we're really struggling with our thoughts, because, um, you know, we, we all go through this, 
but I think we need to be desperate for answers. We need to go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll have more to say about that later on. But I think when we go to the Lord with the spirit of really, really, truly seeking for answers and, and feeling that need in our heart to know what, what the Lord has to say for us and to get a solution to the problem, he's right there and he wants to help us. He says he'll give us the answers. Um, now, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 61. When I was studying for this, I got to thinking about the word overwhelm, and I thought, oh, I know it's somewhere, and I could remember part of the verse, and I thought, what is it? So I was able to look it up and study, study this psalm, and I thought it was just, just really, really good. In Psalm 61, David more or less just bears his soul to us and lets us know what he's thinking. Um, so let's take a look at that psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then once again, we'll find some verses, and, and I hope this is a help to you. It says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. And if you look at, at the beginning, he, you know, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. You know, um, so many times when we're hurting, um, there's always a psalm that we can go to. And those psalms are, are just so heartfelt, whoever they were written by. David wrote many of them. But they just, I find that um, the Bible reading schedule that I'm doing so often, if I'm reading a psalm that day, um, I'll find that it's exactly what I need for that day. I think, oh, the Lord understands exactly what I'm going through and the encouragement that I need and the instruction. And it's just really a wonderful thing. Look at verse 2. It says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that, that term, overwhelm, is actually a nautical term. If you can picture a ship going into the sea, you know, going into the waves and everything, especially if it's going into a storm, you can picture the waves crashing over the bow of the ship, can't you? So, in other words, those waves are coming over the helm. That's where that word comes from, over the helm. In other words, overwhelmed. And I think that, I don't know if this is exactly true, I'm not a sailor and I've never been one, but I think that um, if a ship has enough waves coming at it and they're coming just all this water, it can probably overwhelm any ship and, and make it sink. I'm not completely sure about that. But sometimes we feel just like that, don't we? When we're in a storm and those waves are coming over the helm of the ship and we just feel like, oh, we're just so badly in need of help. And you stop and think about David's life. 
what was he when he was a boy? What was what was he doing? Can anyone remember? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd, just taking care of, I say just, shouldn't say that, taking care of sheep. Right now, I'm in the middle of the book. Um, a Shepherd Takes a Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Have any of you read that? Oh, wow. Um, you've heard of it but never read it? Well, I had never read it either. So David was a shepherd. Remember, Moses was a shepherd, too, that from the time he was 40 until the time he was 80. And I would imagine that both David and Moses, looking back on earlier times in their lives, probably thought that it was actually easier tending sheep than it was to do what they did later on, each of them respectively. So this book by Philip Keller, if you haven't, if you haven't read it, I really recommend it. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller. And um, he was a shepherd. It's kind of interesting in the book, he, he refers to himself more often as a sheep man than as a shepherd, but it's really just a fascinating book. He was a shepherd or sheep man in Africa, and then also it was either Australia or New Zealand, somewhere in that part of the world. And so he teaches, he goes um, just section by section using Psalm 23, like the first half of verse one, he does a chapter on that. Then the second half of verse one, he does a chapter on that. And he explains all about how uh, a shepherd has to take care of the sheep. He has to ch take, um, take note of the condition of the sheep. How are they doing physically? He has to look ahead at the pasture that he's going to be leading the sheep to. And um, in the summertime, he talks about going up into um, grazing lands that are probably far away from their actual home base but the shepherd will look ahead to see what kind of land there is. He's gotta make sure there's water, um, that there's probably snow melt, because the sheep have to have good water, they have to have good food. And then he says when it comes to be the time when it's late summer, then they have to begin when the snow starts flying, at least by that point, then they have to bring the sheep back down from those grazing lands and get them back down before the winter storms really hit. So it's really, just a fascinating book and I'm enjoying reading it just you know what what he had to do to take care of the sheep so then David became king didn't he did God tell him he was going to become king he told him right there was oh I, my mind is going blank. I can't remember the name of the prophet and it should be right on the tip of my tongue but he was that's it Samuel told him that he was going to be king they had to get him out you know from away from the sheep so that Samuel could tell him. But remember, King Saul also knew that David was going to be king. And what did Saul do? Saul didn't want to give up the kingship. He wanted to be king. God was taking that kingship away from him, but he didn't want to give it up. So basically, and you've got to read this if you never have in the Old Testament, Saul chases King David. No, he wasn't king yet. Saul chases David all over Israel, trying to kill him. And David just gave that over to the Lord. I'm sure there were times when, you know, he was worried if he went to sleep that Saul might be there ready to kill him. But he knew that if he was, God bless you, but he knew that he, if he was going to be king someday, that God had to protect him and make sure that that was going to happen and that Saul would not be king anymore. But David just had to wait and see when that was going to happen. So he had to give that to the Lord and make sure that his thoughts were right. So this is so interesting. 
So he says, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. And I'm sure there were plenty of times when David was overwhelmed and just about ready to give up, thinking, Saul's going to get me, Saul's going to kill me. But he, he knew, though, too, that God was going to protect him. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And certainly God is just, he's so high above us, we can't even really begin to imagine it. But what a comfort that he knows. He knows everything about us. He certainly is that rock that's higher than, than all of us. It says in verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong, strong tower from the enemy. God was his shelter. And the um, talks that we've heard, heard so far have talked about that shelter that God has been for us. I want to just mention about the strong tower from the enemy. We got to go to Israel, my husband and I, in 2012. And it was a fascinating trip. And our guide is, or was, I should say, um, saved and a Baptist Israelite there in Israel. We like to think, when we think back on that trip, we say, he knew every stone in Israel. This man was just so knowledgeable. But he taught us about the fields in Israel. He said, um, and on each field, they would build somewhere a tower. And you've read about you know towers in the Bible before and these towers that were built. He said, you know what determined how tall the tower was? He said, how many rocks there were in the field? <laughs> That's exactly what determined it. And in Israel, there are so many, um, so many of the rocks are limestone. And we found that was interesting too, because limestone being, being a sedimentary rock can hold water. And I can't remember what our guide said really was the significance of that. I'm sure we've got it written down, but I can't remember right now. But um, um, that was just, just really interesting. Um, then it says... Look at verse 4. It says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. And of course, now, when we go to church, we don't say we go, we're going to tabernacle or synagogue or anything like that. We, we go to church. But this, I think, he says, he's the king. And he says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. And of course, that doesn't mean he's going to live in the tabernacle. He's, he's got to um, be the king and, and operate from somewhere else, you know, in the palace or exactly where he was. I'm not sure, but um, he made sure that when there were times he was supposed to be in the tabernacle, he made sure that he was there. And um, so, you know, that just tells me that whenever possible, we need to be in church, we need to be learning, but we also need to fellowship. Um, I don't know about you, but when I look around, especially at Sunday night church or Wednesday night church, I wonder where people are, and I think, oh, they're missing the instruction from God's word, but on Wednesday night, they're missing a time of prayer. They're missing, missing a time of fellowship in prayer. So um, I think it's, it's so good to just, to just have that and take, um, take comfort from that and be together just, just as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I want us to look um, at verse 6, kind of skip verse 5 and go down to verse 6. It says, thou wilt prolong the king's life. He's talking about himself right there. He says, thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He knew that God would take care of him. And he knew that generations down, but from his line, would come the Messiah. And um, that is just such a wonderful reality. And we're not really going to look at verses 7 and 8. And I want to check my notes and see if I missed anything that I wanted to say. Oh, the covert of thy wings 
you know, um, that's been referred to too. I think it was um, Miss Lynn that talked about the the mother hen Gleiser, and Mrs. Gleiser. Mrs. Gleiser. And I think you know this is such a wonderful word picture that I love things in Scripture that we can actually actually picture. Um, so many of us are visual, so you can picture that mother hen and her chicks. And I just wanted to add this one thought. I'm trying to learn more about chickens because my daughter Heather, an hour and a half away from us is a chicken lady she has she has about six chickens in any given time and it's really cool she's given them names of her grandmas and great grandmas because we've made sure she has those and it's really kind of fun so they've got all these old-fashioned names it's really it's really kind of cool but um and i don't think she taught me this but when a, a mother hen has those chicks in the barnyard if there is danger like if a strong wind comes up and that mother hen senses that something's going to be happening those chicks know to run under her or a storm certainly if there's any danger and I've heard that they actually signal I don't know if it's with a sound or whatever it is you sound like you know more than no, I, I don't. oh okay. No, I, I just, okay I grew up around chickens did you oh I love seeing her chickens they are they are beautiful and honestly I just I describe them as that they are beautiful birds I know they give eggs and they're you know um sort of maybe thought by many as a commonplace bird but I, I just think they're beautiful so that picture picture of the mother hen with the chicks and God um, giving us that word picture to compare to himself and just the good care that he gives us I think is just wonderful so we can we can rest in him for our thoughts and and um, just be oh I have one more thing I want to mention um, I do want to go to verse 7 just real real quick he shall abide before God forever and that word abide we will be talking more about that later but abide can mean to dwell with and to dwell I give, want to give you one more definition that wasn't mentioned this morning um, when we dwell with someone or in a certain situation that means that we are really at rest and at home just kind of you know you can picture that sigh of relief like everything's going to be fine. We are dwelling with God. We are at home with God. So I think that's that's just really, I love that as well. Now, I want to talk about and really, some of these are that I'm going to share with you are my own thoughts. I'm just going to kind of rattle through them. I'm going to talk about what are some of the things that trip up our thoughts. And I'm going to share at the end, I'll share with you where some of them came from a book that I would recommend to you if you want to do further study on this and just kind of work through. It's a, a book and a workbook together, but I'll give you the name in a while. But um, I, but I also wrote down some of my own thoughts because I thought, what are some of the things that get me tripped up? And I thought about this too. Sometimes, you know, um, if our thoughts are running away, uh, running away with us, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm in a fog have you ever been on the ocean when it's been foggy? Um, or I know we've seen fog on Lake Superior. Um, pardon? Smoke. Smoke, yeah, like smoke or whatever. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's another good comparison. In northwestern California, there's the town of Crescent City. It's actually a, a city. I don't know what the population is. But in Crescent City, for some reason, they seem to get a lot of fog, but they don't have a lighthouse there. So instead, to protect the ships that are out there and just let them know that, that they're near shore, they have a foghorn. And so when you're in that city, 
I don't know how often that foghorn sounds, but I think it's at least every minute. It's maybe every half a minute or something. And when you're there visiting, of course, you're not used to it, but you just kind of take for granted that that's what you're going to be hearing. You're going to hear that foghorn to warn the ships. And so I got to thinking, when my thoughts feel jumbled and confused, it's sometimes like I feel like I'm in a fog, like I can't think clearly, and I really need help with that from the Lord. So what are the, some of the things that trip me up? And I'm sure you can probably relate. In fact, I kind of, after each section, I'd kind of like for you to chime in if you can add something to this. One thing that trips me up is if I take on too many responsibilities, maybe even if it's just for a span of time, like say a few days or a few weeks or something, and I have just too much going on, that can happen at home where we take on too much and we're not getting you know, adequate help from family members. How about at work? Sometimes that happens where we feel like, oh, I just have so many projects going on and I just am having a hard time getting it done. Here's another one where it can happen is at church. And I was talking with a lady this morning and we've had this happen in our, in our church as well, where we've had people come from another church, maybe they've moved or whatever, they come to our church and they join but they say to us, oh, we were so busy at our other church. We just need time to rest and be in the services and not really do anything for a while. I was talking with a lady who's in exactly that same position when we were at lunch. And I said, oh, I, I know that because there are times when we need to just pull back and maybe do a little bit less. Now, if you're not doing anything at the church where you're attending, maybe really think about what you would love doing and get involved there because I think everybody has something that they're passionate about that would be a help around the church. I know we have people at, at our church who will say, oh, they'll say, we don't do that much. They just do this and this and this and they think, oh, it's not that much. It doesn't take that much time, but it's a huge help, whether it's cleaning or teaching the teens or um, helping in the kitchen or there are just so many things I could name off. But it seems like every church, um, if, if people are involved the way that they should be, then um, every need will be met. The jobs will be taken care of because God puts in that church exactly who needs to be there so that no one needs to feel overwhelmed and things will get done and they'll be done in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Sometimes I find my, myself feeling, you know, thinking this, I think, how am I gonna get all of this done? Have you been there? You know, you think, how am I going to get all of this done? Sometimes even, I find myself sometimes almost scheduling down to the minute. Like I just have, this five minutes has to be this, and then this 10 minutes needs to be that. And that's not a fun place to be. You just feel like your, your thoughts are overwhelming you. Another thought, um, you can think people are depending on me. I've got I've to do this, you know, whatever it is. Another thing, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So I've got to, you know, just put forth all of my effort and, Ah, help, help, help. <laughs> um, I think we need to have a reasonable to-do list and just make sure that it's maybe more than we can accomplish in a day, um, but, you know, so that we don't feel like at the end of the day, like, oh, there's so much left for tomorrow. Now, I'll tell you where I get kind of um, on myself is if I had time, if I wasn't really doing that much in a given day, and then at the end of the day, I have a couple of things that, really could have been done and I think well that was just flat out laziness and I didn't get it done you know because 
who knows what I was doing, but didn't get those things done. And now they're added to the to-do list for tomorrow. And sometimes those are what cause sleepless nights and I'll be lying there in bed and I'll think, well, I can't get it done now. Mm -hmm. So I should have done it last night or, you know, sometimes yesterday. So sometimes we need to um, just plan our days better. Um, I go to James 1, 5 often. Uh, I, and I find when my husband and I go to church in the morning, we work together, and um, so often he'll pray for wisdom for both of us. We really, we, we've been there 28 years, but we can't do it without the Lord's help. So verse James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't upbraid us. He knows we need his wisdom. He is so much greater than, than we are. He has wisdom that we do not have, but we desperately need. And I want to see how we're doing for time. <gasps> I need to keep moving. <laughs> um, how about discouragement or despair or depression? Some of you maybe have had a tough year so far. For us, our tough year, it just seemed like one thing after another was 2017. And I won't go into detail, but it was just all different kinds of things. And I have said, if I had known 2017 was going to be like that, I would have stayed in bed on January 1st and pulled the covers over my head. I wouldn't have gotten out of bed. I would have just stayed there. It was it's just really a tough year. But everybody, I think Miss um, Melanie mentioned everybody, if, you don't, if you're not going through a tough time now, you will be. So, boy, we all need to just be in the Word, and I'll be talking about that a little bit more later on. Um, sometimes it's a financial challenge, and I just want to mention something because I ran across a statistic that says this, and it's a 2019 statistic. It says that only 40% of American families are prepared to meet an emergency of $1,000. And I thought, that's tragic. And I would just give you this piece of advice. If you don't have an emergency fund, because you know, if, if something comes up, and you're not financially ready to, to handle it, and you maybe could have been, those thoughts can be overwhelming. How am I gonna pay for this appliance repair? How am I gonna buy those two new tires? Set up an emergency fund of $1,000. Just gradually save. Don't put it in your checking and think you'll be able to track it there. Put it in a separate savings account and just let it sit there till you need it. We recently, a couple of months ago, had a, a, an appliance repair that was needed. And I was so glad that we had that there. So we were able to use it, get that paid, taken care of, and then we're building that emergency fund back up. But that will give you some peace of mind just to know that that's there when you need it. And it's not to be used for going out to eat. It should be used for a true emergency. But, but think about that if, if you don't have that set up. Maybe it's been a physical challenge that has you really discouraged this year. And we've heard some about those. This year at our church, it seems to be the year of hearing about cancer cases. Mm -hmm. We've got two in our church right now. One man that we are certain is gonna be gone, well, we think so, in a couple of weeks. And he's in pain quite a bit. His pain medication is not keeping up. And my heart goes out to anybody who's in pain when they have like chronic pain. Mm -hmm. This man is gonna be with the Lord soon. But we've all heard of people who have to live with pain. And I think, oh, you know, we need to, I think those people we really need to uphold in prayer because I think um, they, probably more than most of us, would have a tendency to, to have trouble with their thoughts, just with what they're going through. 
Um, oh, here's another one I wrote down. If you have um, someone who's spiritually, especially, I, I wrote down teenager in rebellion. Um, a lot of families go through that. I know we did for a time, especially with our girls. And both of them are back with the Lord. Our son, for some reason, never went through that. But when you have a teenager who's in rebellion or somebody close to you, um, or, or, you know, just that, that prayer need, that it can weigh on you spiritually. And you can wind up thinking about it and just it detracts you or distracts you from other things. So um, there's one area where we need help. Sometimes just, just anxieties. We're anxious or we're worried. And I think Miss Melanie mentioned this, but I have it written down too. So we think about the past sometimes. We think, oh, if only this or if only that. And I got to think about Paul. Remember when he was Saul and the Lord stopped him on the road to Damascus. And he trusted Christ at that point. And he became, I think, probably one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. I just, I love reading his epistles. They're so practical and they just just helped me so much. Um, But what if he had gotten saved but had gotten hung up on thinking um, how he had persecuted the church? And I'm sure he went to the Lord and asked forgiveness for that. And the Lord forgave him and, and saved him and everything. But he had to put the past in the past. He had persecuted the church to the point of, remember what it says in scripture, he had wasted the church. And so um, we, need to, we need to forget the past too. We need to take care of things that need to be taken care of. But then at some point, we just, we just have to leave it with the Lord and move on and live in the present and look forward to the future and serve the Lord now. But he was used as a tremendous missionary to the Gentiles. And I'm so glad. Did you all know that Megan is half Jewish? Did you know that? I think that's so fascinating. I love reading scripture and how that even in the days of Moses, you know how there, the um, law was given. And it says so often, God says, there will be one law for the, for the child of Israel for the, for the nation of Israel and to the stranger who is among you. Those strangers are the Gentiles. And I think, oh, God was, was interested in us. Of course, we know he loves everyone, but he so clearly spells it out. Even back then, I think that's just such a blessing. Um, some thoughts can um, trip us up too about the future. We think, what if, and we maybe worry about things like this, job security. Maybe, you know, we've heard talk of a recession. We don't know if it's going to happen, but everything, we just need to leave it with the Lord. How about just general anxiety, uncertainty, just uncertainty that you don't even really know what it is. You just feel kind of nervous or whatever. Um, when I think of the future, oh, um, some of you got the prayer request from me. My main prayer request right now is our unsaved um, son-in-law, Joe. Our daughter, Julie, Julie, married him, and I know that she knew better than to marry him. They didn't have a wedding. They went to the courthouse. They did not live together before they were married. They didn't do anything like that. But our, our son-in-law is one of the nicest people you'd ever hope to meet. He's a good father, good provider, but oh, does he need the Lord? And I think, oh Lord, please don't come back. Do any of you have someone unsaved? You think, oh Lord, please save them before they come. I see a lot of heads nodding. So I know you can relate to that. Um, here's another thing that messes up our thinking. Have you ever been so angry that you can't think straight? You know, I, yeah. 
I think we've all been there where we we're just so angry we really we really act like a crazy person um, the situations and the people around us we're not thinking straight because we're so angry so um, and maybe maybe it's a situation where you truly have been hurt by someone they really wronged you I think of Saul and David again King Saul chasing after David um, David had every right to get angry but he knew that that wasn't the way to go the way to respond Here's another one, bitterness. Tim Schmidt has an excellent message on bitterness that he preaches, I think, at most churches if he has a week of meetings or whatever. And um, I think we all struggle with this from time to time. And to me, I don't know if this, is, if, if this is completely correct, but I think we can become angry at someone and then it sort of calms down, but then we become bitter at them. And who does bitterness hurt? It, us, it hurts us. It can hurt us physically. It can hurt. Uh, certainly hurts us physically. Uh, uh, spiritually, can hurt us physically. It hurts us in our thought life. Um, we can end up with headaches, stomach problems, and I think Miss Melanie mentioned this, but I've got it written down, and there's a reason. I guess we're supposed to hear it again. We women are good at rehearsing and remembering all the tiny details. I know I've done that, you know, in the, you know, at times where I think. Okay, this is what went wrong. Da 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 da. And I can name off all the details. We women are sometimes just too good at remembering details. We should be more like men in that respect, probably. <laughs> they duke it out and then they're done. <laughs> hey, I have something to share with you. If we will learn to pray for that person, my husband shared this with me maybe a couple of years ago, and honestly, I, I he said that, and I thought. Let me think about this for a minute. He's right. Listen to this. I mentioned praying for that person. You can't be angry or upset or bitter toward a person that you're praying for. You can't do it. Um, I'll use an example of a lawmaker. My husband's involved in politics with our California state capitol. Um, he goes and, and especially he goes there on a weekly basis trying to encourage our Christian legislators because we've got some dynamite Christian legislators in the California legislature. But believe me, they are way outnumbered by people who are not saved. But he goes there. Is it like that in Nevada too? Oh, yeah. Have, oh, you know, that's a heartache. You just, oh. So my husband will go and meet with these legislators. Well, our representative right now is a guy named Kevin McCarty. And so my husband's tried to have a meeting with him, and Kevin McCarty just brushes him off. He can't get a meeting with Kevin McCarty. So you know what? Kevin McCarty is on my prayer list because I know that Kevin McCarty is unsaved. So is his wife, and so are his two daughters. What's more important, us getting mad at him because my husband can't get a meeting with him or the salvation of his family? Where do I want to put my thoughts? I don't want to waste my thoughts I'm being angry or upset with him. That would just be ridiculous. Here's another one, ladies, that I'm going to mention. And I know that it's not much of a problem. This is more a problem with men. But this thing of pornography online, and I just want to mention this briefly. I cannot tell you how many times my husband has mentioned to me that he's had to deal with a man in our church about pornography. I don't know who they are. There are plenty of things that my husband doesn't share with me. That is confidential. But um, it's, you know, just really a struggle. And I read this. Where did I read it? No, my husband shared this um, stat with me just a couple of days ago. 
70% of men and 20% of women have had that struggle at one time or another with pornography online. And that is just, to me it just seems like so dirty and filthy. Um, we don't need our thoughts to be going in that direction. There, in a case like that, even more so here with this kind of stuff, even more than some of the other things, because I think this is just, well, it's sin is sin though, really. Um, but we need the washing of the water of the word. We need to be in the word so that we are getting God's thoughts. And we'll talk more about that. Um, one thing that I read that can be helpful with someone who's struggling with pornography to, is to have their quiet time in the morning with the Lord, but then also to read scripture right before they go to bed. And so that that's what's in a person's mind. That'd be good for any of us. Read scripture right before we go to bed because sometimes the last thing we think about then is what we dream about. And if it's scriptural, I mean, you can't beat that, huh? Um, oh, and then I wrote down the word accountability. I think with this sin or with others, we may need accountability just to make sure that we're staying on track. And I know with with computers, I believe there are, there's a couple of programs out there where your computer can keep track of where your computer has been so that someone else could look at your computer and see exactly where you've been and make sure that, that everything's okay. Um, for any of these areas of thought where we've struggled and we've gotten off track or have gone into that fog where you know we just can't get our thoughts clear, I think I've, I've just kind of written down some verses. I got to thinking that asking forgiveness from the Lord might be a good starting point. Like, Lord, I've really struggled with this. I need you to forgive me. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess, if, yeah, if we confess our sins, you can say it with me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so um, I think that's, that's a good starting point. And he says, you know, there are some promises that are conditional where they begin with if, like we have to do our part. And then he says, you know, that he'll do his part. Now, the one that, um, is it Hebrews 13, 5 says, it just flatly says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that doesn't depend on anything that we do, but God is just promising that he will always be with us. But 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and that really, you know, to agree with, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that's a great starting point. And I want to share one more thing that my husband shared. I had honestly wondered about this for years and years and have never heard anybody um, say anything about this. Um, so I thought it was such a help. 234, we're okay. Um, my husband said, this was on a Wednesday night, he said, sometimes we get the idea that we have to have confessed every sin to the Lord before he'll hear us in prayer. He says that's not true. But we should at least, you know, admit that we have, have sinned, that we need the Lord's help. And maybe when we have, we can take some time, ask the Holy Spirit to bring some of those sins to our remembrance so that we can say, Lord, I'm having trouble with bitterness or um, anger or whatever, you know, whatever it is that we're struggling with. There are so many things. The list just goes on and on. But I think that's a good starting point. And then I think this is really interesting. God tells us 
how to think. He helps us along this line. Remember Philippians 4, 8? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll give you a second to write down that reference since I see a lot of people writing. That's such an encouragement to see people taking notes. Um, but he, he tells us how to think, and any time that he gives us a command or tells us to do something, he's going to give us the ability to do that. So say Philippians 4, 8 with me if you can. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I think if we will take, take this seriously and realize that we can think about all these things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, then it will make it so much easier for us to, um, to obey the Lord and to find that our thoughts are right. So behind his command, he always gives us the power and ability to do this. He helps us. I want to um, just listen to this as I read it because I don't want us to turn to everything. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, through the scripture, right, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way it's going to happen is if we're reading our Bibles. And I have something to, to share that it, it's in my notes someplace. My husband's a pastor, and of course, I told him this recently. I thought, should I even say this to him? I said, honey, I love your preaching. I love how you study. And he just has such easy mannerisms in the pulpit. He just makes you just, you know, really focus on what he's saying. And um, I said, honey, I love your preaching because I know you study and you really dig in so that we can learn something. But I said, the more I have grown in the Lord, equally, I love my own Bible study, my time with the Lord. And I find that so many days I pray, Lord, this is typically one of the ways I'll pray. I'll say, Lord, what I'm reading today, shine a light for me on these pages. Illuminate them so I can see them. Help me to see something that I've never seen before. And, and just help me to, to see that and not to miss it. And so um, anyway, and the Lord has been so faithful. There was something this morning that I saw. I was reading in John 15, and Christ is talking to the disciples. And at one point he says, I have spoken to you in parables and, and dark sayings after he said some things. And then later on, he says some more things. And he says, and the disciples say, Oh, but now you're speaking unto us plainly. And I thought, well, what's the difference between what he said earlier and what he's saying now? So I've got to study that and see, you know, just what the difference is. But I hope that as you grow in the Lord and fall more and more in love with him, that your own personal Bible study is becoming just much more meaningful, just more meaningful as the years go by, more precious, more sweet, that fellowship with him. I, I think it's just just really an amazing thing to be a Christian. Um, oh, two more things super quick, and then I've got something to read to you and a story to tell you. First Thessalonians 5.18, and I think Miss Melanie touched on this, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, who got us off in our thinking? We did, didn't we? 
100% of the blame is on us. So we get away, we get into that fog or our thoughts start going crazy or whatever, and we ask the Lord to bring us back. But even in this, as the Lord's bringing us back, we can give thanks to him for, for that experience and just for the fact that he's bringing us back. And another verse, Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We find perfect peace in the Lord if our minds are stayed on him. And, and that perfect peace, I mean perfect peace, it doesn't get any better than that. That's, that's the best that peace can get. And then I want to read to you from Hebrews. Oh, I've got to keep moving. Ah. Hebrews 12, 2. Really, I'm just going to read part of the verse. It should be familiar, hopefully, to you. Um, the first part of the verse says, looking unto Jesus. And I want to, I want to read something to you. Um, how many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China? Okay, have you read the book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret? If you haven't read that, oh, I think of all the missionary stories that I've read, that's probably one of my favorite. Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I think it was written by his son, Dr. Howard Taylor, I think, but I have a reading to give you. So Hudson Taylor's on the, um, we're almost done, we're super close. Um, Hudson Taylor is on the missionary field in China. He is going to be doing a great work for the Lord. And I don't know how long he'd been there when this happened. But he found that he felt like he was striving in the flesh, that he was trying to get close to the Lord, but was just, it's like something was missing in his spiritual walk, and he didn't know what it was. He thought he was just trying and trying and trying and laboring, really, to get to know the Lord, but something just wasn't working right. So I want to read you this. It's several pages, but I'm not going to read you the whole thing. Then he gets a letter from a dear friend of his, a Mr. McCarthy. So listen to this. When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear Mr. McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes and the spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and he says here, I'm quoting from memory, but how to get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. He says, as I read it, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed, that he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Ah, there is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to rest in him. I'll strive no more, for he has promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me. Do you like that? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's so meaningful. So if you haven't read that book, I would recommend that as well. Oh, and then some of my thoughts, if you want to jot this down as well, um, some of my thoughts came from just you know, scripture in my own, just kind of thinking about it. But um, there's also a book, it's a book and a workbook combined. So it is kind of big. It's like, I don't know, nine by 12 or something like that. It's by Jim Berg, B-E-R-G, and it's called Quieting a Noisy Soul. Quieting a Noisy Soul by Jim Berg. And I perused quite a bit of the first part of that. 
to help me. And um, Jim Berg, oh, he's such a godly man. When I was an undergrad, he was doing grad work in Bible college, and he has always had a walk with the Lord and a testimony that is just wonderful. But if you feel like you need further help in this area, it, it would just be a huge blessing. So we better close in prayer. <laughs> and I think I'm supposed to. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm.